Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have um, we have two co-founders joining us today. You know, it's uh, definitely exciting when where you got when you have the the actual you know a, a bigger part than just one. You know, coming you know to to be part of this show and and I think that on today's show we're going to be learning quite a bit. You know, quite a bit about building, scaling, financing, uh, also about exits. Uh, and then of course you know about COVID-related you know situations, adversity. Uh, breakdowns to breakthroughs. So I think that, you know, we're all going to be learning quite a bit. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, and that is Michael Werner, and then also Vincent Payen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I'd like to do a little bit of a walk through memory lane. So let me start with Michael. So Michael, you were born in Canada, but eventually, you know, ended up growing up in Chicago. So tell us about your upbringings. Sure. Thank you. I actually grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. My family had a family business called Werner Ladder, and my dad was sent up to Canada to run our operation there. So I was born in Toronto. Then they needed him to move to Chicago, and I was sent along with them to Chicago. And I mostly grew up in Chicago, and I couldn't wait really to get out of the Midwest, went to California. I heard that's where all the, the gold was. Did my undergraduate in the Bay Area, then went to Asia, worked as a volunteer English teacher on a Peace Corps type program in Taiwan and then worked for the U.S. Embassy in Thailand. I first thought I wanted to go into international politics and work in the U.S. Foreign Service. And working in the embassy, I realized that that wasn't for me. Came back to Stanford and finished my graduate degree. And then I went on to New York and worked at Goldman Sachs, did M&A in the, really the heydays of the 80s. When I joined, I was the 20th person in the M&A department, and it was growing incredibly fast. I think by the time I left a few years later, they had about 80 people. I then joined a client in Los Angeles. I wanted to get my wife back home to where her family was. One of the core things that will always drive me is his family, and we wanted to have our first child out there. And I worked for a financier, a guy by the name of David Murdoch, who is one of the most brilliant and powerful people I've ever met. And it's, it's amazing. He would treat us like ballerinas. He'd want to get us up on our pinky toes and try to push us over to see if we really believed in what we were telling him. That's amazing. What do you get from from someone like that, you know, from someone so successful and, and with that, you know, uh, sense of accomplishment too. I mean, what, what did you learn? Yep. Probably the most important thing I learned, two things. Number one is the power of three. And he would always think about everything. He said, you know, you can talk about 50 pluses and minuses and always have point counterpoint. 
but I always want to do everything where you break it down and first talk about the positives and then really the how-to is what you have to change. And I only want to have three points. If you can't make your argument in three, then it's not a strong enough argument. He also was really interesting in that he would always start with the youngest person in the room to share their opinion. And he would always wait and speak last. And after listening to the discussion for 15 minutes, he would actually know more about the topics than everybody else because he had that uncanny ability to have a unique intellect and combine it with his gut. So my, my takeaways from him were really to, to think in terms of threes, to start with the junior people and to combine both your head and your heart as you think about it, the situation. That's incredible. So, so in your case, after this, you know, you actually went to the family business, you know, and that was quite a, a ride because uh, you experienced going from 100 to 550 million. So not bad. Yeah, it was, it was a huge transition in so many ways. You know, when you work on Wall Street, it's kind of like you're flying in an F-16 or an F-22 and a traditional manufacturing business is much more like a biplane. And literally, when I worked for Murdoch, he had two beautiful Falcon jets. He liked to keep his pilots busy. So I might be flying from L.A. to San Francisco or L.A. to New York, and he'd say, take the plane. And of course, as a young kid in your 20s, you love doing that stuff. You watch Top Gun in the back and, and drink a nice bottle of champagne along the way. <laughs> but when I joined my family business, I took off my suit. I went from my Falcon jet to an Astro jet. And I literally had a white Astro van with ladders in the back. And I called on plumbers and electricians and painters and contractors. And what I learned most importantly as I started in my family business is that it all starts with the employees in the company. Matter of fact, my great uncle who started the business said, Michael, I'm gonna teach you the three most important things. Number one, take great care of your employees. Number two, take great care of your employees. And you can guess what number three is, take great care of your employees. And if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers and then your customers will take care of everything else. So starting in my family business, the most important thing I learned is to make your people the most cherished, the most valuable asset. I also spent a lot of time out in the field, really working with customers, understanding customers, and I developed a, a great appreciation for people who work with their hands. And I could relate to them directly because I paid for my college by painting houses. I spent uh, six or seven years painting houses. My dad every now and then would give me equipment and he'd come and look at us on the job site and usually he'd kind of walk up behind us and I wouldn't know he was there. And then he, I'd look down and be all red faced because we'd be using the equipment all wrong. And my only defense was, well, that's how contractors really use it. So we got to make it so that a contractor is going to use it the way they're going to use it and it's still going to be safe. And that was actually a lesson, surprisingly, that he said he learned from us. But in our family business, what was great is that we tried to combine the best attributes of what a family business really is unique about, has unique attributes, and that's generational thinking. We had a tremendous amount of trust because it's family. You know, you can fight like hell, but then you look at your watch and say it's time for lunch or supper. And we trusted each other with everything that we had. So when you combine that trust with a work ethic and a generational thinking, that our approach was it wasn't about this quarter, it wasn't about this year. It was about how do we build a great business for the long term? So that's really a second great lesson that I had. First about people and then second about generational thinking to really think strategically, to be willing to make the investments to do it for the long term. So those are two unique things that I really learned from my family. And then this company, uh, you guys sold it. And uh, then what you did is uh, you went at Globe Union Group. So what were you doing at Globe Union Group? Yeah. And first, let me just touch on the sale. You know, the, the bad news about a family sometimes is that we had 105 family shareholders. When they say be fruitful and multiplied, we really multiplied. Oh, yeah. So in the, in the late 90s, we had to do something to take care for everybody. 
I had just become the, the president of the latter company, but the right thing to do of the business for the business was to really do a liquidity transaction. So we, we did that transaction. I was hoping, and our dream really was to take the company public, but by 2000, if you didn't have a .com after your name, it was very difficult to go public. And our investment partners wanted to sell the business. In those days, the private equity firms weren't really trading, as I like to say, trading underwear, trading with each other. In those days, you would sell their strategic. So when it was clear that they wanted to sell their strategic, I realized it was time for me to exit because I really did not want to work for one of the large strategics at the time. I was, I was too entrepreneurial. So I ended up really going back to my roots in Asia. And I had been approached by a little Taiwanese company, about $100 million in revenue at the time, that was in the kitchen and bath business, primarily making private label products a great entrepreneur who started that business. And his dream was to build it into a branded company, primarily in the US. And for six months, he tried to recruit me and I kept saying, I'm not looking for a job. I'm looking to really start my next business. And I wanna do it with a business that has the same kind of core values that we did in Werner, which is to be a positive force in the world. And turns out his core value was exactly identical. He just said it in Mandarin versus English. So I joined forces with him. I became the second largest shareholder in the company. And over a period of about a dozen years, we grew that business to over 700 million. And we did it through acquisition. We did it through organic growth. We did it, again, by really listening to customers, coming out with new products, having great people, and offering a better value equation for our, our customers. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, and obviously, that, uh, that was the segue of uh, HomeX, you know, which we're going to be talking about in just a little bit. But before that, Vincent, so uh, born in France, but how, how do you end up in Canada? It's a good question. So yeah, uh, born born in Paris, as you can hear. Uh, grew up in Paris. Moved to Canada in, uh, when I was uh, eighteen. As my entire family moved, uh, went uh, went to school, uh, studied finance. I was not sure what I wanted to do, um, but like you know, like um, you know, like started there as a kind of a default. Then uh, quickly realized that making rich people richer was not going to be fun for me. It was uh, it was missing? I think. Uh, um, uh, a human, uh, a human element to it, and uh, uh, I really fell into technology by a bit by accident. eBay was launching their Canadian operations at the time. I was, you know, speaking French uh, still at the time. Like I don't know if I speak French like super well anymore. Uh, having spent so much time in North America, but like I could still, uh, you know, like speak French properly then. Uh, and uh, uh, and then like you know, like started at eBay um, doing content management. You know, like. Uh, Fell in love with uh, technology, um, marketplaces, what they could create, like uh, you know, like uh, the parallel to you know, like what what was missing for me in, in finance. I, um, you know, like I, I found it there. Like we were enabling, you know, like people to build businesses, uh, to create jobs. People who may not be able to have like a a regular office job, like you know, like some of us, but like who had like a, a lot of you know, like a, a grit and uh, and uh, who just need a platform to be able to compete. So, you know, like this, uh, um, what a functioning marketplace um, can deliver, you know, for both sides of the equation, like just became, you know, like a life, you know, like mission. I've been like a student of marketplaces, you know, since then. I've been, you know, like there's not one day that passes where I don't, you know, like one or another, like have a reflection or problem thinking about like how to make the uh, eBay at the time and now our own, um, you know, like platform uh, at HomeX function better. So did content management and product management, became product, uh, country product manager for uh, Canada, then moved to California to look after buyer experience, then uh, took over running the, the consumer business, which is roughly a third of eBay at a time where it had been taken for granted a little, uh, you know, like eBay sweet spot had been the, you know, like 
individuals selling unique things and uh, and as like they grew and competed on more you know commoditized goods that that you know core consumer business had been forgotten a little and uh, and cannibalized by vertical players by by you know like free classified sites so it was a you know like a great you know like learning for me to you know take something that was not working uh trying to you know really we we focus on the you know customer which you know like uh usually like doesn't take you to the wrong path uh use technology to uh to reinvent the experience and move the ball forward and uh, um and um and you know like did that for you know around like three four years um got the consumer business back to growing at the same scale at, at the same rate at the marketplace uh and then like you know my last job at ebay was to look after um structured data um and platform and uh Again, like, you know, I'm, you know, like, I, I love the hard problems. Uh, I love, like, you know, like, you know, working on the things where, like, you know, technology has not been used yet to solve big problems. eBay grew up as an unstructured marketplace, part of why it grew so quickly, but also part of why at some point it struggled versus Amazon as a fully productized marketplace that can actually, doesn't need to show you 10,000 iPhones. They can just show you the iPhone that you need to buy at the best price without... Uh, using too much of your brain cells and uh, um, you know like uh, working and solving that problem was um, you know something great uh, it, it was like you know 11 years at that point I, uh, I had committed to doing that for a little bit but like I knew I you know I needed to uh, to try something else um, and uh, I was you know planning on a you know uh, doing an, a you know working in another marketplace uh, in commerce or other and uh, and at this point like Michael talked to me about home services and at that point, I promised you I would never have thought I would dedicate the next, you know, four years of my life to unclogging toilets in a better way. Yeah, and especially because the connection here is uh, Michael is actually the father of your wife. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's... no pressure. And eh? when you receive the call from <laughs> Michael, you know, and he was telling you about this idea that uh, that he had, I'm sure that, you know, you were listening carefully. So, so let's talk about that, Michael, then. Let's talk about that moment where you came up with this idea, because Ideas, you know, as they say, they they take time to incubate, and they're kind of like dormant in the in the background. But how did HomeX really come knocking, and and then you know, like, uh, what was that process of really bringing it to life? And and let me break that into two parts, and first talk about Vincent and my relationship. So I first right. met Vincent; he wasn't my son-in-law yet. Okay. He was actually just dating my wife and was a senior executive your, at eBay. Your, so. your daughter. Your daughter. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad he's not yeah, dating my wife. He hadn't yet become my... Yeah, that's right. That's right. That could be the end of this so, business. That could be the end of this business and make this podcast more fun. <laughs> Thank you, Vincent. It's really good to have a son-in-law who can always correct me, as he does and always should do. But uh, at that point, Vincent was not dating my daughter, okay. <laughs> clearly spoken. And he was a senior executive at eBay, and it was really exciting for me to be able to talk to somebody in the tech world who'd been dealing with all the technology issues that I saw as a potential solution for what we were trying to create. And a fun side story there, when Vincent and Stephanie got married, I had the pleasure at their wedding of telling a little bit of the story of how we created HomeX. And I described it and said that we named the company HomeX because we had to take extraordinary measures to get Stephanie home to Chicago. So to do that, we had to create a company that would first attract her, and she's a very accomplished Stanford MBA, then attract her fiance, and then attract a lot of her fiance's friends. And to do that, we had to build something that we felt was really going to be special. And the backdrop to that is that having been in home services for a very long time, I mentioned earlier, I put myself through college by painting houses. So I've been a contractor myself 
for six years. I understand how challenging it is to run a contracting business. And then working at Werner and then working at Globe Union, I worked with lots of builders, lots of contractors, lots of people in the trade. And what was really clear to me is that there are three really radical shifts in the world. The first shift is that our economy has become an experienced economy. You know, you go back 300 years and everybody mostly was agrarian. And then we started becoming extractors and we pulled things out of the earth. And we became makers like my family making ladders. And then we went into services like I went to work at Goldman Sachs. But now it's about experiences, whether it's Airbnb, it's Apple, it's Starbucks, it's Disney. It's all about the experience. It's not just about what you own, but it's how you enjoy it and how you can do it. So that's actually why we called our company Home Experience and HomeX for short, which we think is a terrific name. The second is the gap, and it's a fundamental and big gap between demand and supply. And I'm sure that most of our listeners have felt it in the last year, and we've all sheltered and worked from home during COVID. And as you think about it, I look at my parents' generation, they physically can't take care of their homes anymore. I look at my generation, and I'd rather be out on my bike or my skis. I don't want to. And I look at my children of the next younger generation, and they're brilliant in so many technological areas, but they didn't have shop growing up and they physically aren't interested and aren't able to take care of their home. That gap is really bad for everybody. For consumers, we like to say that the three T's are missing. There's no trust, there's no transparency, and there's no control of time. And for contractors who are absolute superheroes, they're working as hard as they can, but they don't have enough workers and they need help to make themselves more productive. And then the third major enabler that we saw is technology really had transformed itself dramatically. You know, storage basically is free, communication basically is free, and it's now possible to take an industry like home services. And as you think about the home, it's up there with food, water, think about Maslow's Triangle, shelter is one of the core things. So now you've got technology that can be enabled. And with those three things together, we really looked at the world and I saw a great opportunity and said that we can fundamentally change how home services operate by building truly a, a first of its kind technology company that can reshape the home services market. Got it. So so I guess I guess to build on top of that, you know, I, I love, you know, especially for the listeners that that are right now, you know, following us here. You know, Vincent, would you mind expanding on on what has become the business model of HomeX and how you guys are actually making money? Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. And uh, so, when I came into business like three or so years ago, I had no background. So you know, like I, I learned from scratch. I went in trucks. I you know, like did all I could to uh, get a feel for you know, like what that company could do to make home services radically better. And like the the simplest way I would put it is that today the what's being exchanged is rolling a truck. That's that's the community. Like you know, you have a problem like. What comp- what the industry gives you is sending a truck to your home and like a technician to just you know sort it out. We believe that uh, what really matters is to actually solve problems and to exchange solutions. So the foundation of our business is well, instead of rolling a truck, you know, like every time someone calls, like let's actually build a platform that enables better solution, which meant investing in remote services, remote diagnosis. And simplifying the life of the of the providers. So you know, like uh, if someone comes to HomeX and we can fix it remotely, it's magical. And we do that, you know, maybe 10, 20 percent of the time. If we cannot fix it remotely, we diagnose it, which means that we know what the issue is, we know what parts of it we needed, we know 
you know, like what skills are going to be needed to, to solve the issue, which means that one, the customer knows, like, you know, like today's black box, like you, you know, like your thermostat is in blinking. It could be a hundred bucks to replace the thermostat. It could be $5,000 to replace your, your anti-IC system. Like people don't know today and they're scared and they're, you know, like in the dark. So the, the diagnosis helps the customer know what's going to happen, be in control of the process, but also the service providers, you know, like be more efficient. Like as Michael said, like less and less supply, less and less, you know, like technician available, more and more demand. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, climate change. Like at one point, the typical point, like it, it just, you know, like the industry is going into a wall and like, you know, like customers feel the experience. Uh, and one way to do that is to increase supply. So we can get more people in the trade. That's going to take years to solve it. Uh, one way that we have is to do more with the, with the technicians we have. So if we can solve issues remotely, and if when they need to go, they can go with the right part the first time and know what the job is, they're going to fix it, you know, like uh, in one shot. Today, like 70% of jobs in the industry are fixed the first time when we do diagnosis before. It's like, you know, like 90% plus uh, and, uh, and end up with like, you know, having more time to help more customers and cheaper, you know, like bills for the individual customers because like the jobs are more efficient. So, you know, like that's what HomeX does. Like, and that's what we deliver every day for um, consumers to come to the platform and for technicians who use our, our softwares for to power their online booking and their customer connection experience. So, and thank you for that, Vincent. So, obviously, to, to really develop a marketplace of this nature, I mean, it, it's definitely capital intensive. So, so, Michael, how much capital have you guys raised today? Yep. So, we actually have raised really two groups of capital. We did a $50 million debt financing, and we really leveraged our services business, which is part of our overall flywheel business model to do that. And what's interesting about our business is we fundamentally have bootstrapped it until last spring when we raised $90 million of institutional capital from affiliates of New Mountain. And, and, and bootstrapping, I mean, it's definitely a, a, very, a very interesting concept there. So bootstrapping up until what point? I mean, when, when you guys finally took that money in, I mean, was the business already like pretty much up and running and product market fit and fully validated? I mean, why did you decide to bootstrap it all the way until that point? Yep, and I, really for two important reasons. One is because... I'm actually greedy for our people. We wanted to bootstrap as long as we could so that we could preserve as much of the equity for the people who are building this business. And we're very generous in how we give out equity to our people. And we want all of our people to do well. Two is we have a unique business model that actually combines attributes of private equity with venture capital. And we built the private equity piece of our business first. And because that was so successful and with the acquisitions, the companies we worked with there, one we tripled in three years, the other we doubled in two years. That enabled us to be self-funding so that we actually have been EBITDA positive throughout most of our existence. So because we actually have built a different business model, we've been able to do and grow our business differently than most typical VC companies do that. And uh, Alejandro, I, I want to, there's also something interesting about like our, our philosophy of growing a marketplace. Like you, you, you're very right. It's very expensive. It's very inefficient to, to, you know, like boot to a deadlift a marketplace. Uh, we've seen like, you know, Uber or ride sharing company Lyft, like, you know, like, a, you know, like a drive empty cars, like, you know, like to make sure they have enough, they have enough supply and then like going to get the demand and like, you know, in the process, like uh, um, spend like massive amounts of money. In home services, like we had a different problem, we had to take a different path. So number one, we're supply constrained. So 
uh, it's a different problem, right? Like, you know, like in most commerce, you're, you're fighting for demand, not for supply. Home service is the opposite. So, and so we knew that just as saying, hey, we have a platform for, you know, please come take the job that we're going to give to you was not going to work. They, they don't need more jobs. They need efficiency. They need help. So uh, we created our B2B business as a solution, forget the marketplace for a second, to be able to give the best online booking customer connection platform for service providers and monetize them. Uh, that allowed us to get thousands of technicians on the platform, get, you know, like, a, uh, you know, very significant AR very quickly to unfund the business, but also to create that pool of supply that was ready to activate. Because now that we're, you know, like powering their online booking, like their system, we can push jobs to them without them having to make any effort. And then it's just about the efficiency of the job, which we knew we had to nail. Then we went to, to the consumer side and then like ramped up. And Vincent, you know, to, to, to that point, you know, obviously in order to really get the the movement in 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 this marketplace and and get that distribution i mean you guys have thought very careful about content as a way to really achieve that that level of distribution and you have incredible traffic going on so so talk to us you know as to how you guys think about content and what's the approach yeah so um so you know like on the on the supply side like uh, you know like you could say i'm, I'm going to have to spend like 100 million of dollars to put super bowl ads and and you know spend scm etc which i also like, didn't think was was efficient uh, or or you know controllable even though it wanted to do so what what we did early on and, and michael was you know like fantastic supporting there like saying hey we're going to invest a lot of money hire really smart people like the the team we have in cambridge uh, some of the these guys are the ones who uh, who created a stuff called Easy that Amazon bought that became Alexa. So we got like some of the best talent in the world in machine learning and uh, you know like machine content generation and you know automation to actually create you know like I think that today like one of the biggest home services like repository of Q and A um, and information. And we know we're going to make the investment. We know it was going to take a year and a half to two years to get to a scale that that you know would help the business. But for the first time this month, like in, by the end of September, we're going to cross like a million unique visitors on homex.com for the month without spending a dollar of, you know, customer acquisition. Like the, uh, around like three or four months ago, maybe six, um, you know, like we, we had a huge spike of, of traffic and we're trying to figure out what was happening because it's actually, you know, like 10x, like what we would expect. And we realized that like uh, Google had put us uh, in their P0 for how do you reset an S thermostat? Like above their own Google result, which obviously they, they shouldn't do for multiple reasons. But um, I think that shows the the power of of content and uh, and the investment we made there to give that for free to get to help people re like you know self serve if we can and get them on the platform that's fundamentally on their side and set the tone of like our job is to give you solution and help you with content or with remote sessions and if we can't send like the, the best person to your home possible, but with you having the information versus trying to monetize every interaction, which is unfortunately what, you know, most, uh, you know, like home services, lead gen platforms do today. And I know that COVID, you know, obviously has not been very welcoming, you know, to, to, to everyone, I guess, no? On the health side, on the business side, I mean, obviously there are some businesses that have definitely capitalized on it, but, uh, but I know that for you guys, for HomeX, you know, like definitely was a bit bumpy. So, uh, Michael, so what happened, you know, during COVID and how did you guys, you know, really dealt with adversity? Yep. I would say that the first 
three months of COVID was probably the darkest period in my career. And in addition to everybody being concerned for their family's safety and health and welfare and everything else, we had a business that we were spending and investing, as Vincent said, a tremendous amount of money in building out all the different parts of it. We also had in the services part of our business, which is a very traditional business, about 800 people who actually worked out in the field, working, doing HVAC, plumbing, and electrical work. And literally, in a matter of days, we had about a third of our company that was shut down by the government. So here we were, we were bootstrapping. We had a business that was relying upon the earnings of our service business to fund a lot of our digital business. And all of a sudden, everything just came down to a halt. So in a situation like that, our view is that you can kind of react two ways. You can either get in your shell and say, oh, my God, the world's falling apart. Or you can say, let's turn this crisis into an opportunity. So we did. We actually relied upon our core value, which is to be a positive force in our industry and our communities. And we said, what can we do first to be sure that our business really takes a Jim Collins approach and takes an and? We recognize that you know failure was not an option. And we had to go out there and we had to say, how do we completely turn this around? So we really approached COVID as an and. And we first ensured that all of our technicians were safe. We actually put together real SWAT teams. We got everybody, literally we moved about 400 people out of the offices and all the people who were out in the field. We had to provide them with great safety stuff. We rethought our business model and we actually accelerated and created something that I'll ask Vincent to tell you more about, which we call HomeX Remote Assist which fundamentally changed how consumers could operate as related to home services. And literally it became the, the Teladoc of home services. And what's most delightful to us is we finished the year 15% ahead of all of our budgets because we took COVID as a crisis and turned it into an opportunity. And every day we knew it was tough. We literally would have five all hands type meetings going on at one time, dealing with all the different parts of our business, trying to figure out how we're gonna work with it. But the important thing is that uh, we really put our heads down and came up with some great solutions. And Vincent, you want to talk about the most important thing to come out of it, which was HomeX Remote Assist? Yeah, so like uh, I, I, you touched on it, right? Like I remember like distinctly like calling you one night and, and, and saying like, hey, like I think, uh, you know, like what about we just like double down on what we can do and, and what people will need now? Uh, and uh, at that point, like, you know, we, it's funny, like, we had done remote help in our, in our, um, service business kind of like just because sometimes it happens right like a customer calls and like you oh like you know like even the cs person can like hey like did you try to you know like you know like you know flip the breaker on your garbage disposal and see like if it is the problem right before we we send someone and uh, um and, and that grew into like um all of the you know as oh like you know like like how great can we make that right like you know if we use technology if we, if we build a knowledge graph around it if we use like you know, all the things we know how to do, um, how many things can we solve remotely? And we realized that we can solve a ton. And even when we don't fix them, as I told you, we diagnose them and it makes the field service more efficient. So, so uh, um, you know, like in the COVID context, we were like, it was clear, like, you know, like we, there was stuff that we were planning on doing that became like, you know, like not irrelevant, but like, you know, like, you know, like much more risky. And like, you know, like, uh, um, like what we knew people would need is like, they still need help. Like their house will keep breaking. We're not sure we can send. We'll be able to send people to their house. Like um, so, like the right thing to do for you know for getting this all the economics. So like you know like this is gonna scale and like all the complexity was like let's go all out on remote assist because like that's the best way to help people now and uh, that forced us to become to productize it at scale very quickly 
uh, and uh, in the process to build like you know like what I believe is like the the, the biggest like mm-hmm. remote home services provider, uh, you know like uh, th- that that I know of, and I follow competition closely. Uh, and like more importantly, like the more technically advanced, where you know our CS agents have you know like science and machine like helping them like ask the questions like the nurse before the doctor and then our licensed technician then you know help people uh, uh solve solve things or give them information and um, um you know like uh, all of that like um you know transforming the experience more than we had thought like you know we thought remote assist you know like has to be had to be part of the offering we never imagined it was actually you know becoming like the core of the differentiation and like firmly impacting the entire ecosystem and entire experience and we were you know, a bit forced into it, but, uh, you know, like lots of, you know, like I think like Michael has a good example of like, or we all have good example of great companies that came out of the last, you know, financial crisis or like, you know, big events where it, you know, in a way gives clarity, right? Like when you have one path, like, well, you know, like you go as hard as you can on that path and you're forced to innovate. And, uh, I think that's the beauty of what technology uh, companies can do today. Absolutely. So I guess, uh, you know, now that we're thinking what we've, we've been talking about lessons learned and, and, you know, like really how you guys have been able to to get to where you are today after, you know, like the ups and downs that you've encountered, especially, you know, with with COVID. You know, one of the questions that I that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is if I was able to put you both into a time machine and bring you back to that time back in 2018 when you were thinking about like really joining forces and, and doing this, if if you were able, the both of you, to sit, you know, right there with the both, with the younger selves, with the both younger selves there, you know, and, and you were able to give yourselves one piece of advice, you know, before really launching this business, uh, this business and going at it, what would you tell, you know, that uh, younger Vincent and that younger Michael? And, and why don't we start with Michael? What would you say? Yep. When I think back to the Werner Company, my cousin who actually worked with me once gave me a plaque and it said, if Michael can dream it, emphasis on the next word, we might, emphasis on might, be able to do it. So if Michael can dream it, we might be able to do it. And really what he was telling me is that I try to do so many things at once. I have all these different ideas and all these different dreams, but they're really hard to do everything at once. And if I went back to my younger self and I think about HomeX, HomeX is a complex yet very elegant business model but we took on a tremendous amount at one time. The neat thing is that we've been accomplishing it, but the best advice I'd give myself is to really break down things into more digestible pieces and not try to do too many things at once, but really get the first one working really, really well, which we actually did with our service business, then get the second one working and then get the third one working. So my advice to my younger self is to actually listen to what people have told me and not to try to do too much at once. Amazing. So, Vincent, what would you say to expand on that? Go even quicker. At you know, like when you work in a real large technology company, like you know, like you can spend a year trying to move like I don't know fifty basis points of you know, like let's improve checkout, let's improve search, and the and uh, the you know, like the the rigor, the thinking, the planning that goes with it is fantastic learning. Uh, you know, like uh, you know, like for me and like you know, like incredible rigor. But like uh, when it's a baby company, uh, like uh, it's a totally different game. Like you know, like uh, uh, everything we move have to be has to be see from space. Like you know, like every opportunity idea has has to move the needle significantly. Perfection, uh, you know, like 
uh, will not will you know like not come through planning. It will come through quick iteration. And uh, and I think like you know like I would yeah I would tell myself just like don't be afraid to go even quicker. Uh, you know like try fail fast. It's fine for engineers to you know write code and throw it away, which you know I would never let happen at you know like at eBay or, or anyone else. Just because like the speed of learning is absolutely what matters in the first year of a business, and like like the time you get there, like you will you know like to innovate, to think, to go quickly, you'll never, you know, like ever get later. I love it. I love it. So, so for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi, Michael and Vincent? LinkedIn is always a great way to do it. So I try to answer most things directly on LinkedIn that uh, aren't just solicitations when someone's really trying to connect with me. I try to respond to those. That's a, a wonderful way to do it. We also are, are very reachable at our email addresses. I give mine out, michael at homex.com. So always happy to meet people. We're a company that's very eager to partner with others and to grow with others. You know, Vincent at, uh, but I would say like, you know, like go to a, uh, go to homex.com, try remote assist, uh, hopefully have a magical experience. If not, email me and tell me why. Uh, and I think like, yeah, that's the most uh, exciting thing, uh, you know, like for me, but yes, like we're always, always happy to, uh, to be in touch with people interested in, in our business or our experience. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much, guys, for being on the DealMaker Show. It's been an honor to have you both on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alejandro, for having us on the show. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts, or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.